Morning. Well, not that it is rare, but my voice is particularly rough this morning, so I'll be drinking a lot of water, and we're going to get through this. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're in Acts chapter 2. You can turn there. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're also going to hop between John and Romans uh, and look at really some famous texts this morning. Before we do that, I gave a little bit of an update last week. I know it was a holiday weekend, so a lot of us were traveling. And so I wanted to revisit a little bit of that. Uh, And then actually, I want to go even a little bit further than that back. uh, Because this morning, and it's fun just to remember these things, but this morning is uh, actually the two-year birthday of the first time we met in this building together as a church family. And so it's, it's crazy to think about what God has done over the last two years. And sometimes even physical pictures help us just remember some of the things. So this was that, okay? Uh, that's the same stage, just in case you're wondering what that room is. Uh, same room. And then this is the next one. This was our, uh, yep, our opening night there. Uh, and so, I mean, remember two years ago, uh, it, just, it was middle of 2020. Everything was crazy. Uh, and God just blessed us with this building. And uh, we've been meeting here now for two years. So much physically has changed from the, the paint to the parking lot, to the roof, to basically every uh, like floor and wall in this, uh, in this place. And physically, right, there's been a lot of transformation over the last two years. Um, but again, those are all just pictures of spiritually what God has been doing in our church over the last two years. And it's fun to celebrate the physical and the practical. Um, but of course, all of this is about the spiritual transformation that is taking place inside of us uh, and, and, and the church that God is forming here. And uh, this year then, as we go back in history a little bit, at the beginning of the year in January, uh, we decided as a church we were going to study through the book of Acts. And so you can throw that up there. Here's what we've accomplished so far. Uh, There's a lot of lines in there. Each line represents a sermon. Each line over that represents a little bit of a series. We said at the beginning of the year that we were going to move through the book of Acts. And this is how far we've gotten. Next slide. There we go. Okay. So that's where we're at. And um, we're moving a little bit slower than I had anticipated that we would be moving. And so last week, I I communicated a couple things. If you missed them, I just wanted to catch you up to speed. Okay, so we're going to keep studying through the book of Acts. Uh, A couple of little things you might notice. We're going to start actually like theming um, the the little series within the series. That way, we just know in particular what we're moving through. Um, I also said this last week that just because we're moving slowly doesn't mean we're not moving as a church. Um, we just know that God has taken us deeper, not wider right now, and we're totally cool with that, and we're just going to keep studying the Word of God and seeing what it is that He wants to teach us out of it, and we're going to keep moving through the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to wrap up our current little series called Am I a Christian? And we'll get into our next one, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, We're going to call that Now That's Church. And we're just going to talk through what the first church looked like. Uh, Because a lot of people talk about like, oh, we want to be an Acts 2 church. We want to be an Acts 2 church. Well, we've spent six months talking about what has to predicate being an Acts 2 church. And so now we can actually talk about what that looked like because we've spent so much time over the last six to seven months working our way through the book of Acts, okay? Uh, And so third thing I said last week that I'll reiterate this week is um, I do anticipate once we move into chapter three that we might move a little bit quicker. uh, And that's simply because the nature of Acts changes a little bit. Chapters one and two are very doctrinal. They're very historical. Once we get into chapter three, it becomes much more testimonial. Um, But that's just what I think, and I always think wrongly. So we'll see what happens, okay? 
That's where we're at. Today, we're going to continue on in our, our series here uh, called, Am I a Christian? Now, that's a big question. That's a big question. In fact, it's the most important question uh, we could ever ask, and it's the most important question that anyone could ever ask. And the question comes out of the, the response that we see to the very first Christian sermon. See, in the book of Acts, uh, what happens if you're unfamiliar with, uh, with the book of Acts or Christianity in general is that Jesus dies and then he raises, rises from the grave. Uh, and then 50 days later, he ascends into heaven. This is what we believe as Christians. And he left behind 12 guys. One of them didn't work out so well. The other 11 were still together and a team. And then they added another guy to their team. So there was 12. And then there was really 120 of them. And they were meeting together in this upper room during one of the Jewish festivals. And this is about 50 days or so after Jesus was was crucified. And there's lots of Jewish people, like thousands of them, maybe tens of thousands, and they're all gathered, and they're not gathered there um, because they like Jesus. In fact, they murdered Jesus. And the 120, who is now a very small minority compared to the thousands that are gathered, are hanging out in an upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes down boom. Uh, we call this the day of Pentecost. They're baptized. That's the term used in the Holy Spirit. And now they're just filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the church starts. Okay. Now, after the whole Holy Spirit falling thing, the 10,000 or so Jewish people uh, that are in the temple courts look up into the upper room at the 11 or the 12 disciples and the 120 and go, hey, uh, what just happened? And Peter is standing there and goes, Okay, this is this wasn't in the text. I'm reading this. Uh, Peter looking out goes, okay. Well, the last time somebody stood up to say what happened, they killed him. That was Jesus. But Peter boldly stands. And a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day, I preached on the importance of Christians standing. That we have to stand for the truth of God's word. That even as we face. Uh, like he did, the most socially unacceptable crowd he could have possibly faced. He stood up and he preached a very socially unacceptable gospel. And uh, no no conversion happens apart from from somebody standing and proclaiming the gospel. And so Peter stood, right? And then he preached this incredible sermon that, again, was very socially unacceptable. Basically looked at him and said, hey, y'all have been looking for something. You missed it and you murdered it. And he lays out the gospel to them. And then in verse 37, we see the response. And so that's what how we got to to hear in this little sermon series, am I a Christian? Because we see the first response to the gospel. It wasn't a passive response. It it wasn't uh, just a small thing. They were making an incredible decision in that moment. And uh, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, first we see the gospel has to cut to our heart. We don't take on Christianity like we take on a new hobby right? Uh, We don't just kind of arrive at being a Christian. We're not a Christian because we were born an American or because we do good things. We are a Christian because the gospel cuts to our heart. And then after the gospel cuts to their heart, they go, now what do we do? And Peter looks at him and he says, repent and be baptized. And repent and be baptized isn't like a, a kind of like a, oh yeah, all right, I think I'm into that. No, repentance, when Peter is saying it, uh, it means a lot. And so last week we unpacked what it means to repent and believe. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because it'll help you understand when we say what it means to come to faith in Christ, we're not just saying like, oh yeah, I want to kind of identify as a Christian because it, it makes sense or it's easy or it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's uh, you know, somehow convenient. No, it means to repent. And repentance means um, it's emotional because we understand the depth of our rebellion and then the love of the Father to bring us back in. Uh, It's practical because we were doing this and now we're doing this. Uh, It's intellectual.
factual because I used to think this way and now I think this way because I have been transformed by the gospel. And then I'm baptized, right, because I'm carrying a new identity. I'm no longer that person. I am someone new. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. If you've been sold a bill of goods on what being, being a Christian means on something way less than that, no, this is what it is. It's simple, but it's deep. Simple, but it's deep. And so to repent and to be baptized then, uh, that was kind of the next step in the process. And now here we are today. And we see at the end of this verse where he says, repent and uh, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Peter says these words, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, this is what I want to do. I want to talk about this gift of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do it through three questions. Uh, question number one, what is the gift? Question number two, why was the gift given? And question number three, who is the gift for? Those three questions. And here's what's at stake. Your ability to live out the Christian life is contingent upon your understanding and then your operation in this gift of the Holy Spirit. We are incapable of living the Christian life on our own strength. There was a group of people who tried to do that. They were called the Galatians. And Paul writes to them, he says, oh, you foolish Galatians. Stop trying to live out your faith now uh, back under the law. Stop trying to live your faith now under your own strength and your own ability. You can't do it. You need this gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, for us as a church, uh, we say our mission statement around here is this. We, we exist to help all people experience redemption. How do people experience redemption? Through the proclamation of the gospel that cuts to their heart so that they repent emotionally, practically, and intellectually, and then carry the new identity of Christ. That's not all in our mission statement, okay? But then, live in freedom. Live in freedom. How then do we actually live in that freedom? We live in that freedom by receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit and then operating with the gift. Have you ever received a gift and you didn't know how it worked? You get the gift and you're like, okay, this is awesome, thank you. And then you look at it and you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this. And you put it on your shelf. Or maybe you received a gift and you started to use it, but then later you watched a YouTube video or somebody else had the, had the exact same thing and they said, oh yeah, don't you love it when, uh, when you can do this with the gift? And you're like, I didn't know you could do that. Lindsay, uh, we, we bought, Lindsay and I, we bought a, a van for her about a year ago or so. It was a Honda Odyssey. And uh, she was driving the, the van. I'm not sure why the brand matters at all, but okay. Uh, and so she's, she was driving the van uh, one time, and we have a friend who has the exact same van. And they told her, like, oh, you just have to do this. And, and Lindsay had no idea that that was possible in this van. And once she learned that, she was like, oh, this van is even cooler than I thought right? I mean, fans are cool already, but even cooler than she thought. What did she need? She needed somebody who had the same van that knew it better than her to teach her how to fully enjoy and use the capabilities of the van, okay? I don't know if we're clapping for the van or the metaphor underneath it, but hopefully underneath. This morning, as your friend, as your pastor, I want to help us understand this gift of the Holy Spirit. And it takes a little bit of teaching to do that fully. Because you might, you might be living the Christian life and not realizing the full capacity of what you have. 
In fact, it could be this bad. Imagine had Lindsay got in the van and it just sat in the driveway because she had thought it was a tent. And the first thing somebody would have taught her is, actually, if you turn it on, it moves and you can get places. Some of us, we have this gift of the Holy Spirit and we haven't yet fully realized what it can do. And I can't teach you all of it this morning, but I can teach you some of it, and I want to do that, okay? And so that's, that's our aim this morning. That's where we're going here. We want to talk about receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's our first question. The first question is, well, what is the, the gift? Well, the gift is not actually a what. The gift is actually a who, and, and that is the Holy Spirit, the, uh, a part of the Trinitarian nature of God. We're going to see in a text later that the Holy Spirit is sent by God, but sent in the name of Jesus. And so that's why sometimes you hear people say, um, oh, Jesus, your spirit, and that's not incorrect. God uses that language, sent by the Father, but it is the spirit of the Son, and, and, but part of the Trinitarian nature of God. And so we don't refer to the Holy Spirit as an it or a thing or a force or a power. It's a person, just like the Father and the Son are, uh, but it is the the, the helper that is sent to us so that we might live this Christian life. Now, I want to make a distinction here real quick so that there's no confusion. Uh, it says that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us, we might see that and because of our backgrounds think, oh, he's talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not because that's not what this text is talking about. I did talk about being filled with or empowered or baptized in the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. You can go back and you can uh, watch that if you want to, Uh, but this is not that. Uh, there's actually even a different word for gift uh, that, that talks about uh, these two different things. The gift charismata is often talking about the, the gifts of the Spirit. This is not using that particular word as gift. What this is talking about is what I was talking about a few weeks ago in that sermon where I said everybody has the Holy Spirit. And that's a Christian. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you can't become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. And so every Christian has the Holy Spirit. In what way? In this way. Upon your salvation, you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is for everyone who is in Christ. Let me show you a verse that, that, that proves this. Ephesians chapter 1, all right? Uh, um, Paul is, is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says these words. He says, in him, that's Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You see how Paul is basically like reiterating uh, Acts chapter 2 here to what happens first. The gospel goes out. That's why you got to stand, okay? And so you stand, you proclaim the gospel, right? And when you do that, when you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what happened next? You believed in him. And I know sometimes we get confused because we read like Romans 10, 9, or we read this, or we read 1 John. We look at Acts 2, and sometimes it says repent, and sometimes it says repent and believe. And you're like, okay, do I have to repent? Do I have to repent? believe? Uh, Do I have to confess with my mouth? All of these different things. What has to happen? All of those words are, 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 find themselves complete here when Paul or when Peter said to them, repent. So the repent and the belief, the repent and the confess, okay, that can all kind of be locked into this understanding of true repentance, 
Why? Because true repentance is e- emotional. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to repent in turn. It's practical, right? So I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to confess, right? Because part of, of turning from sin is confessing sin, right? And then uh, it's also intellectual. I'm believing in something new, okay? And so I don't want us to get confused uh, when we see different words added in here uh, in this process of our salvation. We repent, we believe, we confess. All of that is accurate and true. When we do that, then what? We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay. It's like the Father's looking at and he's saying, I want to know who's mine. Okay, here's how I'm going to do it. When they become a Christ follower, I'm going to seal them. I'm going to stamp them. I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit. And that's then how I'll know. Almost as if the Father can look out and he goes, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. Why? Because I can see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on them. And so, uh, by the way, if you're a Christian, you're like, I, I don't, the whole Holy Spirit thing, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, and, and I don't really like it, and I don't really want the Holy Spirit. Oh, you want the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay? I don't know what lie you've been believing. Okay? You want the Holy Spirit. In part, you want the Holy Spirit because that's the proof you're actually in. Okay? You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Another translation says the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He goes on later and he talks about what that possession is and what that inheritance is. uh, And that's basically the full glorification that we're going to have uh, when Christ returns for his church and all of those who are with him. uh, We're gonna get glorified bodies and we're gonna live in eternity with our father uh, and we get all of the blessings of being in the presence of Christ all the time. And he says, I'm gonna give you a down payment on it now, okay? And it's the Holy Spirit. And so in the Holy Spirit, then we begin to experience glimpses of this eternity. Uh, There's uh, like our glorification. It's like there's a process. We call it sanctification, this side of heaven. We're becoming more and more and more like Christ. He's saying that's just a picture of what's to come. It's beautiful. And so this is, uh, this gift of the Holy Spirit is given to you at the moment of your salvation. We receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. So, so that's, that's what the gift is, the what is actually a who, but why? Why was the gift given to us? Well, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, uh, and then 15, and then all the way into 16. And then Paul talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter eight. And I wanna give you just three of probably a dozen reasons or so that I could have picked out this morning on why the Holy Spirit was given so that you and I can begin to operate more in it. And, uh, and we'll look at Jesus's words in John, and then we're gonna hop over to Paul's words in Romans to help us understand and again, this morning, I just have three of them for you, um, but I think that these three will, will really help us get going, okay? Uh, and so here's number one, the, the first one. Why was the gift given? Well, actually, let me read the text first. I'll start in John chapter 14. If you want to do like extra studying this, this, this week, uh, of course, our daily dig, okay? You can get that. That's the morning devotional that we write in conjunction with the sermon. So you can sign up for that on the website. Um, but you can also read John 14, 15, and 16, and Romans 8 on your own this week. And this will help you really understand uh, this gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, says this, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And so if the Holy Spirit is a gift, we know that it comes from God, and we know that it's good and it's perfect. And that's a good thing. Okay, John 14. uh, Let me start in verse 15. Uh, I'll read verses 15 through 18. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. Well, that's a hard task right there, isn't it? We, we, we start working our way through the commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. That one's really hard. Forgive your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That one is really hard. Like, without even getting into all of the other ones, right? Like, like just those two ones. And Jesus is like, hey, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do I go about doing that? Well, he tells us. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. He's the helper. It's as if Jesus is looking at his guys, his disciples here, and he's like, I want you to follow my commands, but don't worry. I know what, um, uh, what difficulty of a task that is. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to ask God, hey, can you send them some help? And what he's going to do is send down the Holy Spirit to help you. The first thing that the Holy Spirit, why was the gift given? To help us obey God's commands. To help us obey God's commands. And so even last week, as I was kind of like working through the process of repentance, I brought up a couple, like the biblical perspective on marriage, a biblical perspective on money, right? We could lay out a whole bunch of other ones, biblical perspective on sexuality, biblical perspective on how we use our language. And maybe you see those and you go, wow, that seems really hard. Jesus said, yeah, it's kind of hard, but I'm going to send you help. I'm going to send you out. And here's what's so cool. Once the Holy Spirit starts breaking in, and many of us know this, uh, that what, what was once hard becomes easy. And what was once foreign becomes natural. Because the Holy Spirit becomes the, he comes in and he starts changing you. And so this morning, if you're looking out at the, the Christian life and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. You can't. He can. And the Holy Spirit will help you. And he will come in and he wants to help you obey God's commands. And what's great is that uh, when the Holy Spirit really begins to take hold of us and when he really begins to change us, it's not like he's helping us do something that we don't want to do. Eventually, uh, the desires and the nature of our heart begins to change. And he helps us uh, then actually like want to do what God commands us to do. And so if you're finding yourself struggling right now with the decision, trying to find, finding yourself struggling with the transformation that you know is godly, that you know is correct, Seek the Holy Spirit's help. Let him come in and help you. Let him begin to change uh, your thinking, your way, your action. That's why he was sent. Don't try and do it alone. Paul then picks up on this theme in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. Paul says it this way. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's talking to believers. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Look at this line. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So earlier, if you were back in that camp of like, I don't really want the Holy Spirit, that line, not good. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
This is answering the question, how powerful is this spirit? Well, it rose Jesus from the dead. It gives life to your mortal body, and it is inside of you to help you now walk in righteousness. And so, uh, follower of Christ, you're not alone in this journey. The entire process of repentance, of turning emotionally, practically, and intellectually to begin to think differently, to begin to act differently, and to walk differently is empowered by his spirit. It's been granted to you. The same spirit that, uh, that helped Christ rise from the dead. The other day, Lindsay and I were discussing something, uh, and I'll be a little vague here, but we were talking through it, uh, and it's just an area of, of where um, God has just been kind of changing her lately, uh, and, and as God was changing her through this process, um, she said, you know, one of the big changes uh, that happened was I got to the point where I had to just realize and recognize that, that if God said it, it's good, and if he said it, Therefore, it is good that even if it seems not good to me, I need him to change me so that I think it's good like I know it is good because he said it is good. And some of us, just that little intellectual transformation will be huge because you're looking right now and you think whatever it is, is not good, it's bad. And so when he says this is the right way, you're fighting. So first, just get to the place of going, all right, God, if you said it, it must be good. I'm going to start there. Now, Holy Spirit, change me to actually believe that it's good and then actually help me to do it. And then change will start to happen in your life. As different as that stage was that I showed you two years ago as this one is now, your heart will be if you'll begin to follow this path, if you'll let him change you. That's the first reason. First reason he came is to help us obey God's commands. Here's the second reason he came. I really like this one. I like them all. This one's good. John 14, verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, hey, um, Jesus is like, hey, I didn't just save you and then leave you by yourself. It's not just about you receiving your redemption, right? And then, hey, figure it out on your own. And he uses um, a, a terminology here that Paul is going to echo later, uh, uh, like orphans and, and being a part of the family of God. And, and what he's saying is this, uh, going back to the, the metaphor that I used last week uh, about how the, the, well, this wasn't a metaphor, the Jews killed Jesus, who's the son of God, and then Peter stands up as the representation of God the Father, vocally, right, speaking, and he goes, hey, y'all, you killed God's son, but let me tell you how he wants to handle the fact that you just murdered his son. He wants to forgive you. Oh, but get this. He doesn't just want to forgive you. He actually wants to welcome you into his family. This is the gospel. And Paul, or Jesus here is saying this. He's saying, okay, when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things that he's going to do is when you step into your redemption, when you step into your salvation, he now wants you to, to, uh, to, to know, uh, even to feel like you're not an orphan. You're not on your own. You are now in the family of God. You're in the family. You're, you're not by yourself. You're not in isolation. You're in the family. 
And now that you're in the family, the, the father, uh, he, you're his child. And so there's all the benefits uh, of having the greatest, most powerful dad in the world. And, and then Paul's going to take it a step further. Not that he's like adding to what Jesus said, but he's going to help us understand it more. And he's going to say, not only are you a child, but you're actually an heir to the throne. You're not just like brought into the family as a lesser child. You're brought into the family with the full rights and privileges of the firstborn Jesus. You're an heir. So then the Holy Spirit is going to come to remind you of your adoption, to remind you that you're his child, to remind you that you are an heir. In a very simple way, if I told you this morning that you are now an heir to Elon Musk, you wouldn't forget. And when he died, you'd be like, hey, I want that Tesla and I'm going to Mars, right? The Holy Spirit came to remind you that you are a child of the king. And In Romans, Paul lays it out like this. He says, hey, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the way, that's telling you how do you crucify the sinful nature, not through your own actions, but through the power of the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into father into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Here it is. But you have received the spirit as adopt, of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He's showing us. When the spirit came to remind you of your adoption and what does that adoption look like? And he very intentionally uses language here that most of us have heard this at some point in our life that is very intimate, relational language. It's not how you speak to somebody you're scared of. It's not how you speak to some like uh, pompous religious figure or, or your boss that intimidates you. It's none of that. He's like, you speak to this God, right, whose son you murdered. It doesn't include that in there. But whose son you murdered, he brought you into the family. He forgave you for the murder, brought you into the family, all right? And now he wants you to call him daddy is the language. Like, that's the language. He, this, this son, he wants you to, to relate and to interact with you like, like, you're, like he's, he's your papa. He's your Abba father. That's how he wants you to relate to him. And the Holy Spirit came specifically down to help you be reminded of that. Now, I could spend many sermons talking about what it means, right, to, to then live out our son or our daughtership in Christ. It, 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 from the father. I mean, but I can just think of a, a few, like just looking at my own kids, my own, my own four, four and a half year old or my own, my own two year old, like, like what does it mean for me to be their father, right? It means that I want what is best for them. It means that I want to, pro, uh, to protect them, right? From, um, from things that they're not yet ready to protect themselves from, right? Uh, it, it means that, um, I, that, that my love for them, right? Like, it just, man, it knows no bounds, right? It means that, that every time I see them, right, not, well, you know, there's those couple moments, but right, every time, I'm kidding, every time I see them, like, I've said this last night, like, when Reagan comes down the stairs, it's like I'm saying hi for the first time, right? Because you love them. And this is how the Father feels about you, the Father up above, and the Holy Spirit is here to remind you. And what is that supposed to produce? Later on, Jesus say it's supposed to produce a peace, 
Paul's going to write later, it's, it's supposed to produce help in our weaknesses. It's supposed to, uh, to bring us to a place of calm when everything else is going crazy. Does this sound like you? Hey, Stephen, am I a Christian? I don't know. Does this sound like you? Are you using the gift you've been given? Peace? Joy in that tough season? Perseverance to just keep on going? Because his spirit is in you, because you're in your sonship, because you're operating as a child of the king. And then Paul actually takes it a little bit further, and he goes, it's not just about the intimacy that we now have with the God of the universe. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Listen to these words. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right? That's just saying, and just because this is happening doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right? Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but the Holy Spirit's going to get you through it. You're going to face tests, yes, uh, but just keep on persevering and the Spirit will help you do it, but you are an heir to the throne. And what he's saying there is this, it's not just the protection that we get from uh, our Father, but it is also, he's saying, all of the, uh, the provision, all of the power of the Father goes on to the Son, right? And he's saying that's what is available to you as an heir. So do you live in this? Do you rest in this? That you are a son and a daughter of the King. Does the Holy Spirit, is he constantly reminding you of this? That's why he came. Not to leave you as an orphan, not to feel like an orphan, but to know the full rights and privileges that you have. And listen, I know sometimes I, I beat up on us a little bit. Okay, I say us because I'm preaching at myself when I preach, right? And, and I know sometimes, I, like last week, I said like, hey, I just assume y'all are messed up, okay? Which you are. But I assume that you're all, like all of us, like there's something going on inside that we don't want other people to know about. And just because you tell me doesn't change my perspective on you, right? And so I know I spend time talking about how there is that like sinful nature side of us, okay? Everything like that. Uh, and it's important that we don't like disconnect from that, okay? That we understand like we've been saved out of something and that something still wants to like take us back but in the same way it is also important that we remind ourselves of now who we are in Christ like I am a son or a daughter of the king Paul's going to end this passage saying nothing can separate us from the love of God and then he's going to go on to add these famous words in all of these things we are more than conquerors and so, yeah, there's, there's a sinful uh, fleshly side of us right but man all of the all that we are in Christ is also true and we are now, we are more than conquerors through the Holy Spirit, right? We conquer sin, right? We, uh, we conquer the past. We, uh, there is no shame. That's how he starts this passage off. And we get to walk in the fullness of all of this. And the Holy Spirit came to help you do that. Number three, third thing the Holy Spirit came to do. Uh, we'll look at John 14, verses 25 through 26. John 14, back there. 25 through 26. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, okay, so that's why, so who sent the Holy Spirit? The Father, but whose name did he come in? Jesus, his name. That's why when you hear people say like, oh, the, you know, Jesus, your spirit, Jesus, your spirit, that's what they mean, okay, it comes from this verse, whom the Father will send in my name, he will what? He will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Third thing that the Holy Spirit does, okay, is this. He helps us know God's words or God's word. He helps us do that. And this 
is very important. Here's why it's so important. One, we know that it is telling us that then what the disciples wrote down in the book that we have was inspired by the Holy Spirit. They couldn't have remembered everything that Jesus had taught him. And so we can have confidence that what got in here was right because the Holy Spirit came and reminded them of everything that they needed to be reminded of and how to write it down so that we could read it later. So that's one thing this does. Here's the second thing it does. It helps us now understand God's word so that we can hear it, read it, and receive it for ourselves. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and he helps you to understand what is true and to know the words of God or the word of God. And I can't think of a time where that has been more important in my lifetime than right now. In a, in a time of absolute confusion uh, about what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is not, how, how, how great is it that we have a Holy Spirit who showed up with the direct purpose of helping us know what is true? And so if you're confused about what is right and what is wrong, if you have fallen into any of the modern lies uh, about what is right and what is wrong, or this is good and this is bad, or whatever it might be, we have a solution to the confusion, and that's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's why it is important that the church uh, not participate or play into the confusion. That's not helpful. We have a world that is very confused. We don't need a church that is equally confused. We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul said, to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth, are supposed to be the ones when everybody else's pendulum is going, whoa, 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 this could be right, that could be right. We get to say and say, we don't move because we're on the solid rock of Christ and what has always been true is still true to this day and the Holy Spirit makes it really clear. Okay? So we speak clearly, and you should seek clarity, and we shouldn't have to wonder about things, about what is right and what is wrong. It's right here, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand it, okay? And let me say this, Satan is always behind confusion, okay? One of the things that we have learned, all of us, by reading through the book of Acts. Um, by the way, I know at the beginning of the year I said, hey, we're gonna read through the book of Acts every month, okay? That's also when we thought we were gonna be teaching through the book of Acts, okay? And not stuck in chapter one and chapter two. So, if you've been looking for permission to move and to read something other than the book of Acts, I'm officially pastorally granting it to you, okay? <laughs> not that you need it, okay? But, you know, all right. One of the things, though, about reading through the book of Acts that we've seen is this. And now that I'm telling you, look for it. The mob is everywhere in the book of Acts. Everywhere. Almost every chapter, there's the mob. And here's how you know it's the mob. They're creating confusion. They elevate lies and deceit. And its aim is always to produce something that is ungodly. That's the point of the mob. And in our own world today, there's a mob. There's a mob. And the mob loves to spout lies and deceit. 
The mob loves to call what is godly, ungodly, and what is ungodly, godly. That's what the mob does. All right, I, for the most part, I've stopped watching the news, so people have to tell me things, okay? Right, so they're always like, did you hear? Did you know? The answer's always no, but I'm, you can tell me, right? Because I don't read it anymore, right? Because I'm sick and tired of the mob trying to influence what I believe, right? Okay? <clears throat> the mob, here's how you can identify the mob. They will spout lies, okay? And they will call what is good bad and what is bad good. It's the easiest two ways to do it, okay? And we're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now over and over and it's picking back up, it's picking back up, it's picking back up. And listen, you don't have to, you don't have to run out and yell at the mob, okay? We can pray for the mob because we want them to come join the truth, okay? All right? So we'll pray for the mob, but don't give in to the mob and don't let the mob start influencing you. All right? Because the moment in your mind that you start making room for calling what is ungodly godly, the mob has gotten a foothold. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous. I can look back at friends in my life, people in my life, right, who used to be on the same team, who used to believe the same things, and now, because they gave a mob, the mob a foothold, okay, it's not even that they're on the same page. They're not even in the same book anymore. And I mean this one. Why? Because they gave the mob a foothold. They started to believe what they ought not to have believed. And the mob always wants to push things further and further and further. What do we have instead? We have the Holy Spirit. We have been granted the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can hear something and go, nope, that's wrong. Nope. That's a lie. Nope, that's ungodly. I will not call it godly. I will not make room for ungodliness. And the Holy Spirit was granted to you. And here's what it does. It provides clarity for us as followers of Christ so that we can stand on the firm foundation of Christ. And when the world is um, um, shifting and the world is doing this and going back and forth and all of that, we're just standing solid and you know what that does? It gives us a position of humble strength because we can look and say, I've got a peace to provide for you right now. I've got a hope to give you right now. I've got clarity in your confusion. And it all centers on Jesus. So that's the third thing. Third thing the Holy Spirit was given, given to us. He was given to that for us for that reason. Okay, number, third question. Who is this for? Who was given this? Let's read the passage. It's beautiful. Back to Acts chapter 2. For the promise is for you. It's for you. This promise, this gift is for you, and I hope you are walking in the fullness of it, or I hope you've been taught a little bit this morning that will help you now um, operate in the fullness of this Holy Spirit uh, as it's been laid out today. It's for you, and so it starts with you, all right? So don't disqualify yourself. It's for you. It's for you. It's also for your children. Parents, pray this for your kids. Pray this for your kids. Before they go off to school this year, pray this for your kids. Pray that they would have the Holy Spirit of truth so that they can sit and they can hear a friend or they can watch a video on TikTok or they can um, hear a teacher say something that they know is not true and the Holy Spirit's gonna go, hey, seven-year-old, that's wrong, okay? It's for your children. And so pray it for them. It's for them, it's for your children, 
right? Who else? And it's for all who are far off, which is a reference to the Gentiles, right? Uh, It's for all of those who are not yet in Christ, but will be someday. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's for everybody who God says, hey, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. This gift is for them. And also what Peter is doing here is he's talking to the Jewish people who are covenanted people unto the Lord. And he's saying, hey, uh, I know that this Holy Spirit uh, thing coming down to earth is a little bit different for you. I know you guys have that Old Testament covenant, uh, but I want you to know the the covenant is still alive because this is for you and it's for your children and it's for everyone and generation and generation and generation. And so Peter was a little bit there affirming them uh, so that they didn't have to be scared to step into this new covenant. He's saying this is a good thing and it's going to pass on for generations, but it's also for all of those who are far off, which is who? Us. Gentiles. It's for us too, right? And we actually get grafted into the covenant. How cool is that? We get grafted into the covenant. And so it's for us. It's for you. This gift is for you. You have it. You've been taught a little bit about it this morning. I hope you'll operate in it. And when you do, here's how we'll know. You'll get better at obeying God's commands. You'll get better at obeying God's commands. Even that one, that's really hard. That's the first thing you'll see. Second thing, you'll start to just like, just dwell in the, in, the, in the joy of being a child of God. You will dwell in it and you'll enjoy it and you'll, and you'll have all of the peace that comes from it. That's the second thing we'll know. And the third thing is you'll just get more and more rooted in truth and your alarms will go off more and more when you hear the lies. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this teaching would have its intended effect to be helpful for us in living in the power of this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might walk in obedience and trust and joy and hope and truth. Help us in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.